approach the bench. It's time for Sidebar on Chef Demoni. Talking to chefs and sometimes lawyers, but always to people who love food. You're listening to the Chef Demoni podcast. Here's your host, Graham McLennan. Welcome back. Here we are in the summer, and today, at least here on the Sunshine Coast of British Columbia, it is beautifully gray and misty and cool. It's a it's a real West Coast kind of day. It's lovely, actually. I'm enjoying it a lot. Although recently, it has been warm, warm and sunny. That has also been beautiful, but it's leaving us all crossing fingers that the wildfire season won't be horrible this year. And certainly the news from the East is not encouraging on that front. So uh, let's hope for better things, and I suppose let's contemplate regenerative agriculture in the meantime. It has been a moment, hasn't it, since we were last together? Why is that? Well, I have been reflecting on busyness lately, when I've had some moments to do that in the midst of the busyness. I don't have a lot of answers. I've got more questions and observations, I suppose, but things really do seem busy, don't they? It's something I touch on with my guest today, whom I've been hoping to talk to for months and months, and we finally found time in the midst of the busyness, and today we get into these notions of the complexity of the world and how fast it's moving and the speed of communication and and just what that is doing to all of us. I think there is an addition to complicated and layers of complexity. There is a truncation of time so that we as humans are not given the time we need to consider thoughtfully or act, think before we act, because there's a sense of we must respond right away. Long-time listeners, you just might recognize that voice. You're hearing Tanya Tomaszewska, whom you first heard on episode 35 of Sheftimony, and who has been back on the show since for our sidebar segment. Today, though, it is a full court press of sidebar, a full trial. It's at least a chamber's application, which is to say that it is all sidebar all the time for the whole show today. I'm really excited to share this interview with you. If you are newer here, not a long-time listener, welcome. Uh, Cheftimony is just my attempt to stay connected to the worlds of food and wine and hospitality now that I've left cooking professionally behind me and I've returned to the practice of law. So I produce this podcast, and my guests on the show tend to be chefs or lawyers, uh, sometimes both. Tanya is a banking lawyer turned independent wine professional, and these days she works with a range of clients, individuals, firms, some select BC wineries, and she focuses on industry matters, on wine education, and her own brand of what she calls wine journey design. I've experienced that, and it is fantastic. If you're looking for a wonderful wine tasting experience that goes beyond that, so it's delicious, but also educational and and just plain fun, definitely reach out to Tanya. Tanya is also very much into the business of wine, and I suppose this really connects with her background as a deal junkie, as she, as she describes herself, uh, from her practicing law days as a banking lawyer. So these days, she will provide strategic advice around winery operations, and also advice to those looking to either establish a winery, or to acquire one, or to divest of one. 
And finally, Tanya provides advice on wine acquisition. And I think what this means is that she helps select really cool wines for people with wine budgets that are larger than mine. And that also sounds like a lot of fun. But as you'll hear today, Tanya is not remotely stuffy about wine. She knows it super well, but... And this is a trait shared by so many people that I respect in the world of wine. Tanya's goal really is to help you enjoy it, to help other people enjoy wine. And what you enjoy is what you enjoy. Wine certainly doesn't have to be rare or complicated or expensive to be enjoyed. Today, Tanya and I get into why so many in law, and elsewhere of course, but Given that uh, we both have legal backgrounds, we know a lot of lawyers and see this trend. And so many lawyers seem to be drawn to the world of wine. Not not just wine itself as a product, but the entire ecosystem. And, and I suppose there can be lots of reasons for them. But one of them might be the ability of that world to provide some respite from the busyness of the rest of the world. The wine world provides us with an access or it's a vehicle to the world of the senses. It's a, it's a place where we can be. We can be, or we should try to just be in the moment. Today, we'll take a moment to talk about wine, to be with it, and to learn a little bit about what's happening with wine here and there. Tanya shares some recommendations on specific wines, and also on some food and restaurants and places and biking and other things in the Okanagan and the Similkameen Valleys, both here in British Columbia. And we travel a little further afield today as well with some of Tanya's picks from two islands in Italy. We even talk bagpipes at one point, briefly, don't worry, and you'll hear about some happy accidents in the wine industry and how those really created some interesting benefits for those of us who are consumers of wine. All right, that's enough from me for now. Let's get to the interview. Here is a full serving of Sidebar with my guest, Tanya Tomaszewska. Tanya, thank you for joining me. Welcome back. It has been a while, longer, I think, than either of us really anticipated or wanted. But thanks for being here. Thanks for being back on Cheftimony. It's great to be back, Graham. Listen, let's start with just what I alluded to there, which is it's been so long since the two of us have been able to speak and record, and we've exchanged lots of messages over the past many months, but we haven't been able to do this until today. So why is that? Why are we so busy these days? I'm scratching my head on that one too, Graham. I seem to be using the words, uh, the term whirling dervish metaphor a lot lately for my own internal and external worlds. In fact, I had a friend this morning send me a message who said they felt like they were sprinting the whole week. So I believe that this is not a sentiment unique to ourselves and that there seems to be a, a frenetic pace around us in the world. I've been thinking about that a little bit lately, and I think there are a couple of different things going on at the same time. Um, One is we are in a fast-moving world in a lot of ways. There's freedom of movement, freedom of ideas, freedom of information, and a lot of this is around the speed of transmission of communications that we have now. You know, email, text messages, voice memos, all at once, one after the other. It's constant, right? Totally. To to the point that email is now... Very old school. Old school. It's old school. Um, So there are multiple ways to communicate with each other. And often it's at the same time. And 
I feel with this comes an elevated sense of urgency to respond or react immediately, whether or not that is, you know, warranted or desired. (laughs) And I used to think about this a lot back in the day when I was working as a lawyer, when those things called blackberries hit the scene, and we were given blackberries. And I remember that changed a lot of things like the, you know, the fax machine changed practice, email did, and then blackberries, and then iPhones. What happened is you're more contactable 24 seven. So there were assumptions and expectations that you know, you would be able to respond immediately. And if you could do that, then you should, you know, how high can I jump as jump as you as high as you asked me to type of thing. So I kind of I've been thinking about this in the context of everyone in their world and the life out there, but also my recollections of what that was like in the practice of law, and that will be in lots of other industries as well. So I think that is present today still. Totally. You know, it's interesting. I think that with every technological change, there seems to be this expectation that this is going to save us a lot of time. But the expectation comes from an understanding of the world as it existed before that change, right? Whereas after that change, the expectations, to your point, are all massively different. So so where we used to produce in a piece of litigation, you used to produce X documents. Now with electronic documents and metadata and all that stuff, it's 10X or whatever it is, right? Everything just gets more complicated with technology, even though the technology speeds everything up at the same time. I think there is an addition to complicated and layers of complexity. There is a truncation of time so that we as humans are not given the time we need to consider thoughtfully or act, think before we act, because there's a sense of we must respond right away. So just because we receive an email or a text message and a question, and we could respond immediately doesn't mean we should have to because don't we still need time to think about it? And to be thoughtful about how we're going to act or respond. People are relying on what that response is. And that's not just lawyers, I feel. I think a lot of this will be across sectors. I I think of all my colleagues in the hospitality sector, and and you would too. You know, there's so much increased pressure for response speed speed, um, with people who you know, have are dealing with fewer people in teams and uh, needing to be everywhere at once and be everything to everyone. And that's impossible for any human being. And so I think that too, you know, this frenetic, fast paced world is is popping up in so many different places. So I know that wasn't specific to me, I'm feeling it. But I see it. (laughs) I see it wherever I wherever I go. So I think that's one thing is the kind of the speed of communications. The other thing I think is too is you know, the topsy-turvy world we're in, it seems that there's nothing moves in straight, nothing really ever moves in straight lines anyway, but really it doesn't feel it moves in straight lines now. So there seems to be a constant movement. Uh, we need to move and adapt and chop and change and and be versatile and, and deal with the next thing that's coming. And it just feels that our world has been like that for three years. And perhaps that also is elevating the sense of busyness. That's been my experience as well. Do you think... So bridging, as I try to do this on this show, the world of law and the world of hospitality, are there are there reasons that lawyers are attracted to other fields? You and I have both gravitated toward um, the hospitality industry generally over time. Do you see reasons that, because many of our lawyer colleagues fit this bill, they're interested mm-hmm. in the world of, let's go to your space, wine particularly. Mm-hmm. Why, why is that? Why are, is, well, that's the well, question. Why is that? <laughs> well... 
we like wine a lot, many of us. So that's (laughs) just basic. (laughs) Um, I think there are a lot of reasons. I I can think of three or four, you know, this is alluring me, three or four different categories of reasons, perhaps. So lots of subcategories. Lots of subcategories, categories as well. So I would say starting perhaps just with where we just left off, which is this, the world around us, the wine world provides us with an access or it's a vehicle to the world of the senses. It's a, it's a place where we can be, we can be, or we should try to just be in the moment. Look at a glass of wine, smell it, taste it, experience it, think about it or not. Just be with the experience, with the wine, with the people we're with and we're sipping it, looking where we are, what food we're having. The moment of taking time. And I was thinking about this a little bit when I thought back to when we first met and I listened to some of your earlier podcasts before I had my first one with you. And I listened to the one that you had, the chat you had with Kelsey Jones, the sommelier in Vancouver. And I really remember her making a comment about the wonders of going into wine country where life is slow and you can be slow. And that really stuck with me. People behind the scenes in wine country are not slow. They're acting just as feverishly as anyone else. But as a consumer... And as a beneficiary of the art and the science and the passion going into those drops that we're tasting, we can, we can be slow, we can go into a space and we can relax. So I feel, uh, uh, you know, lawyers are humans too. That's one of my favorite mottos. <laughs> and so, you know, the humans in us like to go and, and we, you know, it's, it's extracting ourselves from our day-to-day world and to be able to have, be present in a tangible product. So that takes me to another point, which is the tangible product. So depending on the kind of law you practice, you may or may not have a tangible product. You might feel that you're engaged in advisory or some project where it is a long, long time before you feel you see a tangible result. That can be difficult, you know. Yeah, um, and such, whereas such a in, good point. There's you know, no. in wine, there is a there is Uh, something, something you can taste, something you can touch, something you can feel. Um, And yes, for the winemaker, that may have been in play for a long time. But again, as a consumer, for us to experience it, it's tangible, it's there. And I think that's very, very appealing. I I think probably one of the biggest reasons why lawyers are gravitated to wine, and it might be in the case of everyday consumers or people like me who've ended up gravitating and evolving to working in the wine industry. There are many lawyers who own wineries, many lawyers who've become winemakers. I think that this goes around the fact that you never can know it all about wine on many levels. It's, it's, there are constant unknowns. There are so many different variables of what goes into making a wine, what's possible to make wine, how it's made, how it tastes, the whole experience we can never, our experience of a wine can never be duplicated. It can't be replicated. That experience is unique to us. A winemaker cannot replicate an exact bottle of wine. I mean, yes, in champagne, and there are lots of libations that are made to be a house brand where the intent is that it's the same all the time. But generally speaking, wine is never the same. And so why am I saying this about lawyers? Well, a couple of things. In law, when we're working law, at least in my experience, we can never know it all. It's constantly changing. You never can know everything. You are constantly aware of the fact that you don't know it all and you can't know it all. At least where I'm sitting and what my experience was. Um, Agreed. But, you know, for for that can be a real challenge and um, the challenging aspects of practicing. It also can be the appealing part of practice, what we gravitate to, because it isn't cookie cutter. 
most of the time. And you, you, you always are looking for that next adventure and excited for that next adventure. I mean, I was a deal junkie. So every next deal was a new project and a, and a fresh start. And I love that. So in a way, I think the fact that you can never know everything about wine. I mean, there are hundreds of varieties in the world. There are hundreds and thousands of regions. Every vintage every year has a different story. How a winemaker makes that wine is different. Like there's no way you could ever know it all. And I think that's really appealing to lawyers. I mean, I think it's appealing to many other people, but let's face it, you know, you and I are lawyers. We know our sample group. So, (laughs) you know, I can speak to them. (laughs) This is going to resonate with them. Yeah. 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 So um, I think, you know, I don't know what your feeling is as a consumer of wine, but from my perspective, both as a consumer and enthusiast and a wine professional now, and an advisor, business advisor to the wine industry, I kind of feel that across the board. I, I think it's such a good point. I do feel that, as, as I've said to you in the past and to other of my professional wine friends, I like to outsource my wine knowledge to you and to, and to others. I mean, I do love learning about wine. I love going down the rabbit hole a little bit, but then I run out of time just because, for me, it's an interest, but it's not at the absolute top of the food chain. Um, but then I turn to you and turn to others, and I can access you know, that knowledge more immediately, more directly. But I think your point is bang on. Whatever the pursuit is, there's something appealing about a pursuit that is limitless in some way. So another completely disconnected example, I've just joined recently a little pipe band here in my hometown of Gibson's and um, playing the bagpipes more regularly again and with other people. And that's reminded me, A, how much I love it, but B, how much I don't know, even though I've been playing this instrument for 40 years, right? So it's a, it's yeah. a similar pursuit. I get to dive into it. And then the other thing, bagpipes, law, wine, is that you have an immediate community uh, with, yes. with that shared interest. The other thing I was going to say, and maybe this is a bit of a tell as a lawyer's outlook, because perhaps some of us put this last in our list, and I wasn't meaning to prioritize the importance of my list. Creativity. We often think ah. we're not creative, right? Lawyers think we, we can't be creative. Perhaps that's not our job. We have to stick to the letter of the law. We need to follow the law. But follow the we, are, we are creative. You need, when we are solutionists, we have to find solutions. We have to get creative. We have to think. We have to think outside the box within the parameters, of course, of precedent and law and convention and what our clients would like. We are creative, but I think we often don't consider ourselves creative. And so your bagpiping, perhaps, is, a, is another way to remind yourself, hey, I'm creative and I like to create. Same for me with wine and the different projects I get involved in. I find them extremely creative. And I think that's another reason, perhaps, why some lawyers <laughs> like wine, because... <laughs> And I and I always like to mention to people, remind myself this, and when I'm tasting with anyone, is that wine doesn't need to be analyzed. We can just taste it and just drink it, and that's it, and that is totally fine. And I do that a lot of days. There's no need to analyze wine. When is a good what is a good wine? A good wine is a wine that you you would have another glass of. That's a good wine. Right. It's totally up to you. It's yeah. your experience. It's your taste. I'm. I never would want anyone to feel embarrassed or apologize for the kind of wine that they like or that they don't like. So bottom line, that's wine, but you can peel back the layers and learn a lot, but but you don't need to. And so I think too, there's that sense of you can just kind of let go. 
yeah, exactly. Or if you're feeling in uh, an analytical, super energetic mood, then great, dive down that yeah. rabbit hole and learn yeah. more and more about that specific wine. Yeah, I love that. Okay, well, let's peel back a few layers okay. on some specifics. And these can be really any kind of specifics, but what has stood out to you, I won't say since we last uh, spoke, because it's been <laughs> a long, the, long I, time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've covered a lot of miles. Yeah, in oh my goodness, I have. <laughs> but, I know. But maybe take just a few... Some recent, uh, recent picks? Yeah, some recent picks, okay. whether that's a specific bottle of wine or a property yeah. or, or whatever stands out. Thank you. Well, since we last spoke, I have been on the road a lot, and I have traveled through a lot of wine, even here in home base here in Vancouver. So the list would be long. So what I think I will do is choose some things from the most immediate past, which would be 10 days ago, I was on the in the Okanagan Valley for 10 days in Smilkameen Valley on the ground there catching up with people and tasting and driving around. So uh, I have a few suggestions or things that I, I mean, I did a lot, I'll just choose a couple. Sure. Um, so first of all, in the Okanagan Valley, I spent some time in a region called Summerland. So people who travel to the Okanagan may be familiar with the town of Summerland on the side of Okanagan Lake. It also has a very interesting wine region around it with v- lots of different pockets of uh, different microclimates and soils and aspects and elevations. It's really, really interesting. I've been spending more time in Summerlin because I find I need to learn more about the diversity there. Uh, it also historically has been a great rest, uh, resort area for summer vacationers um, with lots of fruit and orchard. So I spent some time in Summerland and there's a new uh, new winery there. Well, the winery itself isn't brand new, but their tasting areas are. It's called Solvero, S-O-L-V-E-R-O. It's very, very small. It's in a pocket of Summerland called Garnet Valley. It is its own new subregion for wine, and it's very unique, and it's very distinctive, and it feels like you are driving through farmland to get there. Yeah. So Solvero, um, the winemaker there now is Allison Moyes, who used to be at Liquidity Wines. Uh, so if anyone has had Liquidity Wines, they'd be familiar with Allison. And Solvero is a very small lot, and they're making just a handful of varieties Pinot Gris, Chardonnay, uh, and Rosé made from Pinot Noir and Pinot Noir. So four four styles of wine. The tasting... Sorry, sorry Rosé made from... Pinot Noir grapes. Oh, straight from Pinot Noir. Straight okay. from Pinot Noir. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so the tasting room, there's a brand new tasting room area, and they've just opened now for private tours. You can book online. And I did a tasting there 10 days ago. And I think the wines are delicious. And I think it's something very unique. Um, It's kind of new on the radar. And so for anyone going to the Okanagan Valley this year, this summer, and you're interested in tootling around Summerland a lot, I can recommend Solvero. And Solvero is also available in a handful of um, some of the private stores in Vancouver. If you are going to Summerland and you do a tasting and then you think you might want some lunch or dinner after, I stopped in at a great restaurant called Shaughnessy's Cove, which is just down by near the Summerland Yacht Club on the lake. And it's great view and great food. So I always mention food because I get asked a lot about food and where to go for lunch or dinner. So that's my, you know, there are lot, there's lots to do in the Summerland area, lots of wineries, but I'm just giving an example of like one of the ones that I hit when I was there last week and I would recommend it. I'll have to check it out. It's interesting. You know what? I'm having a flashback to early days of practice, and this would be 
must be close to 20 years ago now. And I went to Summerland for, it was either a discovery or a mediation, I can't recall, but loved it. Now, that said, it was during the winter, so it was a bit rainy, so I did not see it in full flight, but... (laughs) Yeah, so I am, so, you know, I'm very thrilled and honored to be able to travel through a lot of the Okanagan Valley, and I, I... Sometimes I'm reluctant to single out any spot and I'm not singling it out as the best and only spot to go just somewhere I've gone recently. And, you know, if I were going again next week and taking some people who've been maybe to Summerland before and want to try something new or have never been, then that would be that would be one to start with. Um, so I was there and then I also, on my way back home to Vancouver, I always love to drive through the Similkameen Valley on Highway 3, um, heading back towards Princeton and Hope, back to, through the Lower Mainland. I absolutely love the Similkameen Valley. I think we may have chatted about it before, but it is a completely different, distinct wine region from the Okanagan Valley, whereas the Okanagan Valley has about 10,000 acres under vine. The Similkameen only has maybe 700 acres planted. However, it is mighty in production in terms of the the beautiful grapes and the wines that are made from the Similkameen Valley, either by vintners there or a lot of Okanagan producers purchase grapes from the Similkameen. The Similkameen Valley is majestic. It is framed by the Cascade Mountains and the southern border of the United States. It is arid. It is semi-desert. It has winds that pick up in the afternoon that keep the pests at bay. It's hot, but it's cool at night. And another thing is it gets so much sunshine during the summer, it gets two more hours a day during the growing season than Napa Valley does. So it can make grapes like those big reds, Bordeaux variety um, reds like Cabernet Sauvignon, um, Malbec, Merlot, Cabernet Franc, Syrahs, all sorts of big, big reds for those who like it. And then also lots of whites. So I always highly, I, ha- I highly recommend driving through the Similkameen Valley. There are great wineries. There's great foodie scene there now. We may have talked about Clippers Organic before. There's a restaurant there um, to go to that I always recommend. But that, this trip... That's, I, um, is that row 14? It is. That's it, row 14. Yes. 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 So it is it is excellent. So I always recommend row 14 for brunch or lunch or dinner. Um, it's a real foodie destination there. This trip, I stayed... I normally drive through Smilkameen or stay in so- Soyuz close by. But this, this time, I stayed actually on the grounds of a winery. I stayed at Orofino Vineyards. They're sweets. They've got two sweets and they're they're Airbnbs and they're absolutely beautiful. You are right in the middle of the their winery land, views to the mountains and vines. I highly recommend it for anyone who's looking for guest accommodation in wine country and something different. I can recommend that. They're Airbnb and then also the wines are great. I loved I did a tasting there. They're old world wines. This time I really enjoyed the Pinot Noir, Gamay Noir, and the Beleza. So um, that's their kind of flagship Bordeaux blend. Oh, okay. But you know, but anywhere you go in the Similkameen, I think is a great experience. They have bikes, like pedal push bikes, cruisers that guests can use. And so hopped on the bike and I rode around all the roads and there's not much traffic, they're orchard roads and went to another winery close by called Crow's Nest. And Crow's Nest also has a bakery and um, an outdoor pizza oven and a great place for lunch and dinner with bands on the weekends. So if anyone's going for a weekend to Smilkameen Valley, check out Crow's Nest for some live music and pizza. (laughs) (laughs) So so those are my beast, like recent, 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 as in 10 days ago. Um, So they're very close to mind. So those would be my BC tips or things that I've been thinking about. But I also always try and balance it with the beyond, you know, beyond BC, because I think it's really important 
for us to continue to explore wines from all over the world for lots of reasons, whether you're in the wine industry or, you know, if you choose as a industry, as a consumer to travel, you can armchair travel. So one of the styles of wines I've really been enjoying recently are, um, few different island wines from from Italy, actually. So Italy is obviously a global massive producer. I mean, one talk about not being able to know all all about wine. (laughs) I mean, you would never I don't know who could know everything about Italian wine. There's so many different grapes. And there's so much. Um, But I've been really loving what I'll call volcanic wine. So Sicily, where there's Mount Etna, Uh which is a live volcano still makes some wonderful wines and i'm really enjoying a couple of different ones you can get here in bc um, pietro dolce and planeta are two examples but there are more and i'm really enjoying wines from volcanic areas because there is something different about the experience you know i don't know whether you're tasting the volcanic basalt but you're definitely getting this kind of stony or minerality or something ethereal with the with the fruit coming through it so and I'm really enjoying that. And then also, speaking of another island wine from Italy would be wines coming from Sardinia. So um, Sardinian wines I love. And Vermentino, the white wine, I'm really enjoying. And also they make Cananao. And one brand I get in BCLS is Argiolas. But there are a number of other ones. But again, you know, I think Sardinia is the largest island, one of the largest islands in the Mediterranean. It's just, it's fresh and high elevation. And, you know, Italy is very, very hot, but because the island is in the middle of this large water body, there are the cooling breezes. Mm -hmm. And so they can make these really kind of fresh white wines like a Vermentino. And a Vermentino for me is kind of a mix of a Pinot Gris, textural Pinot Gris, maybe with a little bit of Chardonnay, maybe with Sauvignon Blanc. Not, Not at all like I can't even, I don't know why I put those words together, but anyone who likes any of those kinds of wines would like probably a Vermentino. It's, it goes with everything. Um, and Canada is like a, is like a Grenache. So, so yeah, so those are two that I, two regions I try. I mean, I, I taste a lot from a lot, a lot of regions, but coming into summer now, if anyone's looking to do something a little bit different and wants to explore some Italian wines, you know, maybe look to the islands, look to Sardinia and uh, Sicily. And to Sicily. It's funny. I've been looking at Sardinia recently, just as a possibility for a future trip. And one of the things I'm excited about there, and I will not try to pronounce it, is the the pasta that is traditional to that oh. region. And it's a stuffed pasta mm. in this gorgeous sort of pleated, almost looks like a, uh, like a dumpling. And their pockets filled, I think, traditionally with, I'll have to look this up and, and properly name it in the, uh, maybe in the outro today. But uh, I think traditionally filled with like potato and mint. It was a different, oh. different kind of filling, but they look oh. absolutely gorgeous. So. so the Vermentino then would be, now this is Sardinia, you said, right? It or is, Sicily? yeah, Sardinia. Uh, Sardinia. Yep. So then the Vermentino would be perfect for that because there's like this greenness and, and it would go with the um, cut well with the potatoes and the pasta. So we've talked about this before, what grows together goes together, right? So there's that. And also, I love pairing for regionality. I often get asked about how to pair wines. And I usually will say there are no rules, there are customs. And uh, again, we are often surprised ourselves by what can pair well together. A lot of it is just being adventurous. There are some things that we know don't particularly go well together. But my rule is, like with a dance partner, you know, <laughs> don't step on their toes <laughs> and try not to lead all the time. <laughs> so with food pairings, it's the same. It should be a harmonious and elegant dance. <laughs> 
I love that imagery. All right. Well, Tanya, we are coming toward, I don't want to keep you too, too long. And okay. um, we're coming toward the, the end of our time. But I, I do want to ask you about stories because in a large measure, that's uh, what I started this podcast to do is just to share stories because in my experience in the kitchen, in a commercial kitchen, there was just so much stuff that was seen and talked about and happened that didn't show up customer facing, didn't show up in the dining room. And there's some good stories that lurk in kitchens. So I'm sure there must be some good stories that lurk in the in the wine world as well. Can you share any behind the scenes takes? Well, I probably could come up with a number of ones that I've been in the movie or witnessed, but <laughs> at the risk of that kind of bringing up some kind of memories of how I felt that experienced that, I won't today, but I'm sure I have, I, I have a lot. But what I might do is um, invert this a little bit, which is more about the stuff that happens behind the scenes, um, which a consumer might not see, but then the consumer gets this great end product and might mm. not be aware, might be aware of a lot of the process of how it got that product, but that there may have been a little bit of a dog leg before it got to them. <laughs> so um, off the top of my head, I've got a couple. One would be, I remember speaking to one winery producer in British Columbia, and one year they had left some of their grapevines hanging longer than the others. They were har busy harvesting, Cold weather was coming through, and so they're very busy harvesting, picking their grapes to make the wine because cold weather comes, and that's not good. You need to get you need to get your grapes off the vine unless you're going for ice wine and freezing your grapes. But most of the time, that is not what people are looking for, or sorry, looking to do. So uh, one winemaker told me I had been tasting one of their beautiful late harvest diverse demeanors. And I said, wow, what an absolutely beautiful wine. And they said, oh, yes, well, this was the first year we did it. It was an accident. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I don't know. I love this accident. And they said, well, we had left a row on we, we overlook or overlooked or there was one or two rows of these diverse demeanors that we didn't pick. I, I don't remember whether it was they just didn't get to it or someone had forgotten. I don't know. Anyways, the cold weather came through. And they ended up picking these uh, Gewürztraminer grapes uh, later anyways and using them. And so what happens with cooler weather is that as the the, the sugars in the grapes, well, they continue to, uh, I guess, evolve, but also become more concentrated. So when you press, when you make the wine, you have um, a higher residual, you know, concentrated sugars. And so you have these beautiful kind of slightly off dry, late harvest wine. And it was stupendous. And that's an example of you know, an accident, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, and we have lots of them. So that's an example of, you know, something, something good coming from an accident, <laughs> or an oversight, or, or, or whatever that was, or just, um, or just being too busy to get being to too it. busy. Get, talk about busyness. Exactly. I don't remember the exact fact pattern. But you get the idea that yeah. the plan was not for the late harvest, but it was a beautiful result. And so as as uh, I understand it, you know, they continue to make that style of wine, because that you know, the consumers absolutely love it. So that is one. There's also been some things that come out of chaos. So uh, the, some of the chaos in the last couple of years in the wine industry have been that glass bottles have not been readily available, either extremely expensive because costs of everything have gone up, costs of inputs and cost of supply. But also there was a real lack of glass bottles available for producers to use. A couple different reasons. Things weren't getting delivered on time during COVID. Ships are offshore with a whole bunch of cargo sitting on them. But also, um, which I didn't realize the extent to which this was going to be an issue, uh, with the Ukraine 
the war in Ukraine, Ukraine is one of the biggest glass producers in the world. And obviously, their manufacturing has been affected. And so there's been a contraction in the supply of glass globally and expenses because of the energy to make the glass. So the knock on effects have been not a lot of glass. So rosé wine, if anyone goes and buys rosé wine, most of the time, you'll see it's in clear glass bottles, not brown ones, not yellow ones, not black ones, clear. That's so everyone can see the tantalizing, beautiful colors of the rosé. It's tradition, you know, in France and Provence, they do that. So I'm aware of a number of wine, wine producers here, but also in other regions who had rosé, all of their rosé waiting, sitting in the tank, getting ready to bottle last year, released for spring because everyone loves buying rosé in spring. And people, a lot of people didn't have the bottles. Ooh. So you have juice sitting in the tank that people want and that you'd like to sell. sell. Right? It's and your it's inventory. Cool. It's ready to go. So what happens? Let's get in cans. Let's get some cans. And cans happen right now for lots of reasons to be a very popular consumer pick for consumption of all sorts of beverages, not just wine, but all sorts of beverages. And there's lots of reasons around that. And that's probably another hour you and I could have to discuss that. But what happened? Oh, we can get our hands on some cans. So they got cans, they put it in a can. And the consumers loved it. So that's out of chaos. I call that out of chaos. <laughs> and not chaos made by the producers, but the world, right? Kind of right. concurrent geopolitical and uh, extreme just swings in supply and the roller coaster of, of a pandemic and consequences of that. Wow. And again, what a happy result, right? What, yeah. What's popping to mind for me immediately is how perfect for a picnic. Mm. <laughs> Bring totally. along a couple of cans of rosé, right? Totally, totally. So, I mean, there's packaging is a very interesting topic, and there are lots of different layers to that and reasons what's driving um, alternative packaging, but that's probably for another day. But that's an example of the behind the scenes that one might not know. It's not always about, in that case, the decision wasn't specifically consumer-driven, but it fell in nicely with a consumer trend. Well, Tanya, thank you so much for taking the time out of what we have just agreed is a very busy schedule all around. Thanks for sharing the stories, the recommendations, and the behind-the-scenes takes from the wine industry. Really appreciate it. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Graham. It's been a delight to be chatting with you again. I hope we can do it again soon. Thank you indeed, Tanya. I'm so glad that we found the time within the busyness to have that chat. And let's make sure that our next sidebar doesn't take quite as long as this one to get scheduled and into the books. Oh, I should mention that all of the picks today, so wines, restaurants, places to stay, everything, they are simply recommendations based on what Tanya has enjoyed recently. There's nothing sponsored. There's no money flowing to anybody for these recommendations. They are just things that Tanya likes and has experienced recently and that we both wanted to share with you. I figured I should make that point expressly just because of the ongoing development of social media and sponsorships not being as clear in all cases as they could be. Oh, and that pasta. Okay, these delicious-looking creations, they are called, and for goodness sake, forgive what is no doubt about to be a mispronunciation. They are called... Cooler Giones, Cooler Giones. I'm saying it like cooler, but I'm sure that's wrong. Cooler Giones, C-U-L-U-R-G-I-O-N-E-S. Anyway, I will post a link or two in the show notes and you can learn all about them. And if my trip to Sardinia does come together, I will be back, of course, with a complete Cooler Giones report. 
Okay, that is going to do it for today. But remember, I do love to hear from you. So please reach out if you've got a question for the show, a comment, a guest suggestion, a topic idea, please get in touch. You can do that either by email, graham at cheftimony.com. You can use social media. Uh, Instagram is probably your best bet, but I'm also on TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook. Those are all at Cheftimony. Or let's connect on LinkedIn. You can find me there under Graham McLennan. And if you're enjoying the show, please tell somebody else who loves food about it, and then they can give it a listen and decide if it's for them as well. Also, on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, if you leave a rating and a written review there, that can help other folks find the show. So please do that as well. Okay, that really is it for today. Thank you for being here. I'm Graham McLennan. And I'll see you again soon, right here on Chef Demonio.